A-L. Just A-L? Uh, well, my name's Alison, but I foolishly thought when I started writing that... Well, it was correct. I thought I would feel safer if I had a pseudonym, and that those are my initials. I've heard that J.K. Rowling was advised to do J.K. because they figured that uh, her books would sell better if all the boys didn't know that she was a girl. Yeah, that that might be right. I, I, I don't think it's a huge problem with literary fiction, but for, uh, yeah, for fantasy... So we'll start with, with A.L. A.L. Kennedy... Mm. A novelist and a short story writer, born in The Coming to Get Us. Yeah, it was only a matter of time. Was born in Dundee, Scotland, 1965, just a couple of days ago. Yesterday, in fact, yeah. Happy birthday. Thank you. Studied English and drama at Warwick University. Theatre studies and drama. Didn't study English at all. That's on the British Council site. We'll have to chastise them. Don't believe them. This is where she began writing dramatic monologues and short stories. Kind of. Kind of. A multi-award winning author, novelist, one of Granta Magazine's Best of Young English Novelists. Her latest novel, Day, was the winner of the 2007 Costa, which used to be the Whitbread, right? Used to be the Whitbread, yeah. yeah. Book of the Year Award. Welcome to the Bibliophile. Very nice to be here. I'd like to focus on how mm. how you get to be so funny. Oh, Lord. I want you to divulge <laughs> everything. Uh, Humour is really subjective. But there's a certain number of people that would share your subjectivity, obviously. Yeah, if you have a dark sense of humour, if your response to dark things is to laugh rather than cry, then yeah. I think it's not so much an English sense of humour more a European, Scottish-Irish sense of humour. The idea of being funny about things that are not funny. It's not quite as popular in England. But that's just because they got taken over by a particular mindset. I mean, it's not that English people don't understand that. Everybody understands that. Yeah, the French can be very dark. Oh, yeah. And the Germans can be so dark they're somewhere else. And Eastern Europe, uh, East Berlin had this whole thing. Wie lang ist Hoffnungslobe aber nicht ernst? Just the situation is hopeless but not serious, which I think is, is, is a good way to take it, really. Well, when you look at depression, mm-hmm. one of the characteristics is exactly that, this hopelessness, this sense that no one will ever love you. Mm-hmm. It's pretty serious. I think if you have a sense that you don't love you as well, that's, that's quite bad. Yes, you've got a novel focused on SPAC. Uh, your your main character, he's unable to accept himself, which is made manifest in his suicide bids, but when he finally comes hmm. to accept, quote, niceness. Yeah. What does that mean? Oh, boy. British cancer. Um, <laughs> he kind of becomes a suicide junkie because it's quite a buzz when you, when you live. I, th- I think he has an inability to live more than a self-loathing. Uh, I don't think his suicide bids are really a bid to not exist. I think they're a bid to have that kind of... Whew. Like, I remember being on a, a, a very, very bad flight with a very small aircraft, genuinely thinking I was going to die. And then the following, at least a week... You're high. Ah, it's just like being on speed. Because, hey, I didn't die. Yeah, I, I, I'm alive, I'm, I'm going to appreciate it, you know, and it's that whole thing of living as if you were going to die tomorrow. Uh, which everybody probably should do, but very few people do do. So that, it's more a book about that than, than a book about him trying to kill himself. I mean, a lot of my people have low self-esteem. When you talk about this high, I'm thinking about the way that some 
people commit suicide, and there's mm-hmm. this, this sexual... The um, autoerotic thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is yeah. that what you're getting at? Um, no, that's different. Well, that's kind of more specifically physical in a sexual way. But again, that would be accidental. They don't want to die. They no, want to get to the edge. They want to get that bars, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of my people like extremity. Because what? They want to get jolted into really feeling like they're alive? Yeah, more than there is. Probably, you know, a reason for being a writer is, you know, you're quite happy with reality, but you'd like another reality and another yeah. one and some extra. So sort of greediness or appetite. Right. Yeah. Because this one's this doesn't do it for you. I think once you discover that you've, you've got this one and there are amazing things, but it's just amazing that you can make other ones. And the, the interaction between the two, because like under, under some circumstances, I, I started writing with people therapeutically, uh, psychiatric outpatients and people in old folks' homes and people with brain damage or diseases like Huntington's career where they were maybe getting worse and going to die or people who had accidents and were getting better. Would you call that bibliotherapy? Yeah. Reading and writing? Well, some of them literally couldn't read and never would be able to, but you, then you could read things to them. Right. Um, so you could you could expose them to the, the power of the word, which is what the, the show idea is about. But you're looking at people who sometimes would just work out that this is a way of changing, genuinely changing reality. In the way that if you write a law, it's a written thing and it's a theory and it's an alternative reality. But if you know, if you make it law, then it turns into real. It's, life. It turns into this reality. And I, th- I think if you write for a long time or you you kick off and you you work with people, just decide they're going to rehearse something fictionally and then do it you know not be confused about who they are but to just try something out or, or when you become confident with uh, the voice in your head and your out loud voice and you're on the page voice if that's possible it makes a huge difference to just how you are with people and how you are with you I, I, I get annoyed when people think that fiction is irrelevant because it's very mentally and emotionally involving and that alters you which alters fact um, well, in fact, you look back at the biological evolutionary explanation for mm. storytelling, which mm. is exactly what you've identified, and that is it's like a trial run. Yeah. You can put yourself in a war situation, let's say, and figure out what you're going to do to survive yeah. by telling stories. Mammoth comes down here, and then they normally do that thing with their heads, so we stick them under the chin and... The difficulty being, obviously, stories are intoxicating, and if you tell yourself the story that you can invade Iraq and everyone will be very happy when you continue to be occupiers, not very subtle with it, you'll believe that story. Yeah, it's almost delusional. Yeah, yeah, and it becomes this enormous lie, and obviously we're great at believing lies, and the more you believe a lie, actually the more often it's proved to be untrue, you invest in it more because it's part of your personality. You don't want to give up or admit. Yeah, you know, the power of story is huge. And the uh, the capacity to tell the story convincingly yeah. and persuasively. Yeah, is is a big power. The leadership power, really, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. My yeah. story is more convincing than his, so come with me yeah. or hers. And and I know that if you vote for me once, you'll probably vote for me again, even if I'm unmasked as a nymphomaniac, drug addicted loon, because you've gone all the way down the path, and and that would mean you were wrong, not me. <laughs> no, I mean it's fascinating stuff. Or do you know why you believe hypnotists? Why are you hypnotized? Because you believe the story that there is such a thing as a hypnotist and that you could be influenced by that person. You have to believe that first. Yeah, Yeah. and then you believe the story which is the story which the person who is in the story tells you. And then you give up smoking. Yeah. Or whatever it is. Or you eat an onion or... Book collecting. Yeah.
Yeah. So storytelling is important. We've established that. Mm-hmm. How do you tell funny mm-hmm. stories? It's one of those things. There's, there's, there's a British movie called Funny Bones, which is about this guy who isn't funny, and he goes to Blackpool, this holiday resort, to be with people who are funny, and what they do is funny. And he keeps saying, you know, how do you be funny? And it's like, we can't tell you. <laughs> either are or you aren't. You either have funny bones or you don't have funny bones. Well, were you always seen as funny? Yeah, I probably, it's a defense mechanism. And I, again, it's a making something more out of what you have or making something that happens be at least entertaining, even if it was terrible. Right, so it's a way of getting attention. For one thing. Well, there's a It's a way of deflecting animosity. I'm the kind of person that people would bully at school. Because you're what? I just look as if you'd be able to get away with it, which is incorrect, because I'm extremely resilient. Emotionally so, and physically. Yeah, but it's a way of dodging having to have that whole conversation, because it's tedious. Right. So we're now investigating why it is that you're funny, but we hadn't found out. Not really. Other than, I, you know, from knowing other people who are funny, they tend to be slightly stepped back from what's happening, slightly observers. Or perhaps very, very close observers. Yeah, yeah. To the point, and this is what David Sedaris has said, Yeah. he just goes into the minutest, kind of most absurd yeah. detail, and it's, it's, it is genuinely amusing. yeah. yeah. Uh, but again, you know, it's it's kind of a writer thing. I mean, it, you, you can take it funny if you, if you truly can't pull it back or if you don't want to pull it back. But a lot of the characteristics are the same with writers. The, the observing thing, the detachment thing, I think you just have a different aim. With the humour, it, it is partly to do with timing, which again, what's timing? And timing is difficult on the page, obviously. It is, so you have to go for the, the musicality quite often or... or slightly layout or slightly punctuation or just the um, the fitting together of words. I mean I love like being in a in a comedy club. You know, it's Saturday night, everybody's drunk, it's Glasgow. It should not be possible for somebody to just say a sentence which is gorgeous and correct and get a round of applause because these people should be, you know, morons by now. They've drunk themselves out of their heads. Cocaine is very cheap at the moment, so they're very confused about whether they're going up or down. But that will get it. Probably going to be insane beauty or exaggerated mm. beauty, but mm. it's just, just if it's melodious... It hits the right yeah, chord. Just be a good observation. That mm. that will kick, which I love. It's like we're so hardwired to like that stuff that even when we're really pissed and it's late at night, sweaty, that stuff still works. Because we like it, because it feels nice. You just Somebody just did something to you that, that, that felt nice, which is purely to do with music, music and meaning. But, it, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. The comedy tends to be probably quicker and more immediate, which, which tends to be, I think, to do with having a pressing need to say something, being angry about something, being hurt about something. Saying it memorably. Yeah. Cicely Berry, great voice expert over in the UK, she's pretty elderly now, she's been doing it for ever. She worked with the Royal Shakespeare Company for a long, 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 long time. And she says, you know, people speak to save their lives. And I think if you're at that end of the needing to write, then that would quite often encourage you to humour if you respond to things that are important in that way, as opposed to doing the howl of grief or folding in to yourself. If if you're going to have an outward thing, it'll either be a howl or it'll be making other people howl but with a laughing thing. I think... You lost me there. I know. There's like there's the fight impulse, there's the flight impulse, there's kind of the having sex impulse. I think there's also the laughing one. The desire to laugh or the desire to make people laugh? Both. I think within fight or flight there's this possibility that if you physically can't fight and if you physically can't fly, what you may do is to fly imaginatively by doing humour 
or to, to battle verbally by producing humour. So I, I think it's very close. If you look at the funniest things, they're about dying, yeah. they're about your sex life being a disaster, embarrassed, or being ugly, or not fitting in. Here's one. I remember screaming out loud mm-hmm. in the theatre, and it was a bit embarrassing because I was the only one. <laughs> it was a scene in the Blues Brothers the yeah. movie, Carrie Fisher, I think. Yeah stalking him throughout the whole movie with a bazooka and, with a bazooka yeah, yeah, yeah. and it gets worse and worse and yeah, worse yeah. and he just fluffs her off finally toward the end he's escaping the cops yep. underground or somewhere and he starts begging for her forgiveness eventually she succumbs after she's about to blow his head off and they hug and then he throws her down into the mud and keeps walking screamed at that <laughs> now <laughs> It's rejection. Huh? It's it's what false emotion. Freud talked about wit. Touching. He's very good on humor. I yeah. think, what's the funniest thing you've ever seen? Wow. Or memorable. I tell you, in a in a movie, the thing that just creases me. I do I do like early Woody Allen, Marx Brothers as well. But I love the bit in Love and Death. There's a lot of Love and Death that I love. But just just the bit where they're trying to hit Napoleon over the head with a bottle, and it's not working, and they're all trying the bottle. And then eventually he's sort of looking at them and they're hitting themselves a bit. There's just something about that that just, just ends me. And I'm just laughing inside right now, thinking of him in uh, Sleeper, where he's got the orgasm oh, ball. Oh, yeah, and he won't, and he won't let, let yeah. go of Because he's such a good physical comedian. I mean, his falling down, him, him and Steve Martin, I could watch Steve Martin fall down. He just falls down. So, I mean, look at those guys. Because we don't really have anybody. There's the, In the UK, there's Lee Evans, and he's a very physical, old-style comic. I, I don't necessarily like, like the stuff that he does, but he's, he's physical, and he's, he does it beautifully. But, I mean, you, you look at, like, Buster Keaton. Yeah who's genuinely uh, an athlete and a gymnast and a dancer or you, yeah. you look at somebody like Cary Grant who was a gymnast who was trained yeah. Yeah. who had these layers and layers, you know, not just an actor I mean beautiful with lines they say the same about uh, Laurence Olivier very very physical very physical yeah I'm trying to think of his name now he was on Saturday Night Live not Farrell the huge huge, huge guy one. and he died very young he was in a dance Chippendale scene with Patrick Swayze who of course was was mm-hmm. the great dancer, but he was outdanced by. Yeah. Oh no, he was amazing. You did kind of think you're going to have a heart attack soon. Yeah. So physicality then. If it's right, I mean, I think we underestimate how good you could be in that area. Like, you know, I haven't haven't seen anybody like Buster. He's not just funny; he's beautiful. <laughs> he's well, like un- unnecessarily beautiful. His face is beautifully comic, tragic mixture. If I, I have to say, I am wearing, I think... Seriously I am, funny. I am wearing my Buster Keaton I've got to get a photograph of that. To, to make me happy. I also have a Buster Keaton hat. Pork you, pie, eh? Well, it's not. It's a cut. He cut yeah. down a fedora and he, he made it himself. And you, when you wear the hat, it's really interesting. Because I've, I've wanted a Buster Keaton hat forever. I'm very fond of hats. And I finally went online and actually, these guys, they make Buster Keaton hats for you. You cannot walk about actively and normally even wearing that hat the fact that he's wearing that hat and just looking normal because you can't keep it on your head it's like it's like putting a, a, a plate on your head because it doesn't stay it's, only, it's, only, it's only that deep yeah it's like a skinny little odor yeah except it's not made out of straw yeah it's just it's, it's just this felt plate basically <laughs> you cannot even walk with it as soon as you've got it on your head you're thinking oh boy you were even better than I thought well it's so funny because it keeps falling off because it's because it stays on his head but you, you're thinking part of your whole body thing while you're doing all the other impossible things is that you're just balancing a plate on your head all the time 
which means you have gorgeous posture, which we knew. That hat is an education in itself. It's lovely. It does not look bad on anyone. And if you go out with the Buster Keaton hat, everybody says, can I try the hat? Literally, if you, if you want to make friends and influence people. I nearly brought it with me. So I think they're based in Canada. Speaking of Buster Keaton and Canada, mm. although I'm right now speaking to you, A.L. Kennedy, writer, there's a great movie that was made by the National Film Board of mm-hmm. Buster Keaton working his way all the way across the country on, a, on one of these little pump rail yeah. things. So memorable. It's funny when you think of it, though, most mm-hmm. comedians are extremely athletically uh, yeah. impressive. Yeah. I mean, Chaplin, same idea. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Fatty Arbuckle, huge. You yeah. look at his stuff. can't remember which movie it is. It's a Buster Keaton movie as well. He's just standing, and he's, he's standing with this railroad track at his back, and he's rolling a cigarette with one hand while looking into space thinking about something else. And the train goes past, he just just goes with it like a less than a feather. And Lord knows what he was, what was it, 200 pound man? Yeah. 280 pound man. <laughs> so, physicality? Yeah. We've checked that one off. How to be funny in writing? We haven't really covered that. I, I think there isn't. I mean, now that they want to commercialise everything and, and lots of comics are trying to make a living, you know, there, there are these courses in the UK, they're bound to be here too, where you can go and you can learn to be funny as a stand up. I can see that. I can see the timing, the physicality. Yeah. Maybe there's a repertoire of jokes that you'd be able to. Yeah. But if you're coming up with fresh material as a writer, perhaps you can give me one or two laugh out loud passages in novels that stick out. Yeah, mine or somebody else's? Let's do both. Mm. Things that make me laugh out loud. I'm not a laugh out loud person, I have to say. Which is what happens if you do a lot of comedy in Europe. Nothing's funny. No, or you're thinking, yeah, that's good, but you're not giving yeah, them anything. You're taking notes. Which is horrible. You just think, well, you're just thinking, oh, I like that. Because that went all the way around there and it went there. It's like, oh, that's good. If you're not laughing. <laughs> yeah. You're just going, oh, yeah. Well, so your life is laughless, then, is it? Um, well, you just need people to be really good. And then you're so happy. You're just, ah, oh, you want to hug them. Love out loud book. Oh. Didn't have to be the whole book. I remember laughing out loud in Lolita, where you just come to the point where the mother's dead, he's alone in the car with the girl, everything is set for him, and I can't remember what the line is, but it's just like that the he's all she's got. And that just made me roar with laughter, just because it's so everything is wrong. There's just <laughs> nothing right about that sentence. It's just another world where we didn't want to be, but it's just beautifully. So I, t- I tend if it if it's something that actually makes me make a noise, it's just like oh, for that's just <laughs> that's so bad. Because it's so socially unacceptable. Yeah, and it's just so. You know, he just goes there, because that's where you had to go. Humbert, Humbert <laughs> always goes all the way, and you're in his head, so you're going to go all the way, because you're going to have access to everything that he thinks. And you do, and it's just, partly it's just that triumph of writing, that he would just get it right, and yet not chicken out, and not bottle it, and just that it's awful, but it's so delicate, and he allows you to completely know that it's awful. He's just way, way back, going, there you go. Yeah. Baby on a stick. What do you think? I think it's terrible. That's what I thought you know. I remember there's one scene in there, maybe it's the same one we're talking about, mm-hmm. might be a bit further on, where you realise it's sort of grey, but then, wait a minute, he's raping her. Yeah. It's, just, it's kind of funny, 
Yeah, yeah. But wait a minute, this really is not funny at all. I think that's afterwards, because then then you have the sort of humor of him trying to be in the hotel and, and yeah. And there's a great line of putting champagne in, uh, describing the act, champagne in a mm. in a purse without yeah. ruffling. Yeah. Ah, it's just more. And other than that, there's a book written by a mentalist, a magician, and he's uh, I don't know whether he was whether he was he's a bright man. He's a hypnotist as well, so he does a lot with language. But he's a magician and a mentalist, and he can simulate psychic effects. So he's not a friend of psychics. We have a famous psychic in the UK who is terrible, even amongst the terribleness of psychics. He's he's unmasked as being fraudulent every other week. He's crap. Even people who believe in psychics do not believe in this man. And it it ends up that they're both from the same hotel. And the magician is writing uh, a sort of strange mixture of reminiscence and, and stuff in this book. And this guy comes up to him and says, oh, you're Darren Brown, which is who this guy says, yeah. He says, how amazing it is that you'd be in the same hotel as Derek Cora, which is the psychic. And he sort of goes, no, you're just, you're kidding me. He says, no, 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 I must introduce you. And of course he runs off. He doesn't like this guy, but he doesn't want to have a fight with him. And he doesn't want to be in this, and he just doesn't want to do it. And he, he writes that he's trying to leave. Uh, and he puts it that he was trying to get away from the prying fan and into the foyer. Oh. I know, it makes you do that. Sweet. It's just like, it's it's so arcane. It's like, that's probably the only occasion in your life. <laughs> but, but it's, it's so just, clever, isn't it? It is. And it's like, what, how often are you going to be in a foyer or near a foyer and have a prying fan? It's like, oh, oh. I like self, the self-deprecating stuff. I mean, I think you would have to make funny work on the page. You'd have to look at the characteristics of human beings being funny. So, so you would need physicality, but would have to correctly describe physicality, mm-hmm. whether internal or external. And and you need timing, however you impose that. And you need musicality, however you impose that. Mm-hmm. And you need observation, wherever you get that. And it's observation that has to be slightly tilted or bent or slowed or speeded or just something wrong with it. And then if you sewed all of that together. It might be funny to somebody, but it's it's hard. A lot of it is to do with pace. I get a lot of people on the page. Yeah, people coming up and uh, saying, you know, because I, I have students occasionally already do courses, and they'll 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 bring stuff that's funny. Although not often, because it's a thing that you don't do. Because the big thing is you have to have the characteristic of people who are funny, which is they don't care, so they're going to do what they have to do. So they don't care if, if you don't laugh. They don't care about anything, because you can't. As soon as a comic cares whether you laugh, you, you smell it on them. They're desperate for you to laugh. Yeah. And, it's and not you've got them at that point. Yeah, and, and if they want you to love them, you, you have to want nothing. You have to be doing what it's, you do. It's almost like, this is who I am, screw you. Basically, yeah, this is, this is my essential nature. And if it involves falling over, I will fall over, which is a thing that people hate doing. You know, it makes you foolish. These are people who seek falling over. So you, it needs that. So so quite often the urgency of that, or the speed of it, and the lack of caution of it, you, you won't get in people trying to be funny on the page. It takes so long to get to the punchline that you, just, you can see it coming. Or they'll twist everything out of same shape to get the punchline, and it has to be the punchline is, is inevitable in a good way. And maybe you can see it coming down the track like a train, but you enjoy that, or maybe when you hit the train you think oh I'm on a train train oh that makes sense you know one of the two and you have to make it go all the way So, and, and sometimes you'll get people doing maybe it's a good image but it's not quite enough so it's, it's difficult but early on as I say writers quite often won't even attempt it because it, it, it makes you feel very very exposed it's a thing that you don't do unless you are quite confident already putting emotion into text and, and putting humour in this is to be the two last things because they feel exposing and, and reckless and subject to ridicule yeah so you've mentioned 
some of the actors who do it for you. Nabokov, mm -hmm. or Nabokov. Is there anyone else? Writers, it would be like S.J. Perlman and uh, Groucho Marx as a writer. Perlman wrote a number of the Marx Brothers, Duck Soup and, yeah. and others. I mean, that, that style I'm very, very fond of. Some of it's certainly slapstick, isn't it? Yeah, but the verbal style, you know, the, the, that whole part of the first part thing is on the radio shows that they did. And there's lots of plays on words. This is a writer of theatrical comedy as opposed to a, a literary humour. There's Mark Twain, Stephen yeah. Leacock. Mark Twain, a lot of time for... I don't, I don't, I don't know if he's made me laugh out loud, but his essay on German is very funny. I, I would imagine if he read that out. still makes Germans laugh. But a lot of literary humour, I think, isn't as funny as people who have theatrical experience because they don't have to work that hard. Mm -hmm. If you get anything funny in literature, people are amazed. Yeah, I, I guess satire would be uh, swift and yeah, although his his kind of satire, you know, I love it, but it's not funny. It's, it's, it's serious it's, it's to the, the point where you don't really realize it's funny until after the fact. Or you know, yes, if there's no food, they could eat their children. It's not mm. really funny. It's very angry, but it's not funny. You could dress it up to be funny. Uh, it's another favorite, Martin Amos in London Fields, talking about uh, Nicola Six and the fact that she had sex with God. Mm. Then she cut him off and God was down on the street corner wailing at her window and recruiting Shakespeare to write mm. that, no way. Yeah, I think... What's, what's so funny about that for... I don't know, that wouldn't make me laugh that at wouldn't all. Make laugh. Uh, I, there is nothing funny about that. Uh, it just takes too long to get anywhere. There's a Tom Stade joke, which is, I know Jesus loves me, I, I can't really, you know... I feel embarrassed, but I don't really love him back. I mean, that's how fast you have to be if you're doing it on stage. <laughs> and that was a slow delivery. It's the same joke. Kingsley in this, I mean, Lucky Jim, his stuff. Yeah, his description of, or I'm thinking of P.G. Woodhouse's description of a hangover and, and remedies. Yeah, I mean, you know, I can, I can take quite a lot of P.G. Woodhouse. I mean, I couldn't read all of it because after a while it is the same thing, but it's a bit beautiful. And the, the wordplay and that. I mean, Shakespeare, he's funny. Yeah. He's a funny man. It's really hard to make him not funny. People can. Uh, if you get good people, people can make it. Because he, he is the man to understand that, that funny and sad is the same thing. And that a response to being really screwed is to just go nuts and see what happens. Sexy and funny. And like, say, you know, sell now, you're not for all markets. That's just, that is. He's a funny man. Uh, but like, Hamlet is funny. Richard the Third is incredibly funny. Those guys are funny, funny. And Richard III is more scary because he's funny. Because you think you, you associate humour and truth, which is the thing. And Hamlet is more heartbreaking because he's funny. Because he must be real. If he's funny, he must be real and clever. And he makes you laugh so you like him. He's clever, yeah, not about funny. Oh, he can be funny. I mean, he's he takes the piss out of Polonius pretty well. Yeah, he has a kind of... Again, he's he can be... It depends how you read it. And we had a very good one last year with David Tennant, who's... A, a great actor, but he's also a great comedy actor. Very, very good timing. So he did Hamlet as comedian? Not as comedian, but just as somebody that makes you laugh. He's very clear. He's not making himself laugh. He's kind of distracting himself from the fact that he's bound to die for one reason or another, and everything is screwed. He's kind of entertaining himself. So it's not hearts and puppies thing. It's sort of the humour of the human condition. But very funny. Very funny.
Just in the way he delivers it. Because, I mean, you know, you associate, and again, this gets Mm -hmm. back to the fact that in a fair amount of your work you look at depression. Mm -hmm. Hamlet is the melancholy prince. He is, because, you know, just just having your stepfather being in charge and, you know, the son of the other guy, yeah, kind of toast anyway, even if your uncle didn't kill your father and isn't screwing your mother, which might also upset you. And then it gets worse. What's so funny about that? I mean, it's so, it's, oh, there's nothing funny about that. It's, it's so archetypically upsetting. So he, where's the where's the humor then? Even when the ghost is under the ground, the fact that he calls him old mole, that's his response to what the fuck? <laughs> My dad's back from the dead, and now he's making noises under the ground. Yes, go for it. And that's before he depends when you time when you're going to go mad and everybody makes it different it's lots like it's like all the Shakespeare people lots of wordplay lots of you know so somebody calling a scabbard a hanger it's like saying yeah. no he said like, don't call it you know <laughs> or you call it calling a, a hanger a carriage it's like <laughs> carriages horses just you know or just don't take your hat put your hat on your head you know lots of stuff about it that just stop the bullshit and, and allowing foolish people to you know pointing out the foolish, foolish people are foolish well, and the foolish, pe- the supposedly foolish people, making fun of these supposedly serious people. Yeah, always much brighter. And again, if you get a good fool in Lear, Lear is a very funny play, very rarely done properly. And again, it's because of the juxtaposition of how tragic it is, and you just have to laugh, otherwise, yeah, it's either laugh or cry. Yeah, or just you know when uh, when Leo's sitting there and has nothing, has nothing left. He hasn't even got any clothes anymore. He's <laughs> sitting there on the heath, there in a hole in the ground, and he's hallucinating. And you've got Gloucester there, and you've got the there, and he's talking to a stool as if it was his daughter, and the fool's going, "I know, it's a stool." If you, in my opinion, do it right, but I mean, it's it's it's, it's difficult because like the, uh, the the British style at the moment is to make things that are about serious things serious, and I mean Shakespeare's comedies are about serious things. So then there's a tendency now to make the comedies not funny, <laughs> which is a fucking car crash because they're much darker than the uh, tragedies. At least you get to die in the tragedies. It doesn't it doesn't stop you don't have to keep living with. Mm-hmm. No, because if you're in a comedy and it's not funny, you, you probably don't have your own name. You, you don't know who you are. People are accusing you of things that you haven't done. You don't know where you are. You don't know what time it is. You, you're, you're in love with somebody you can't be in love with. Somebody that shouldn't be in love with you is in love with you. It's, like it's, it's hell. And you don't die at the end. It just keeps on. Well, th- but there's happy endings. Oh, absolutely. And they're, and they're funny plays. And they're, and then there are the problem plays, which are both. You know, Shakespeare makes me laugh. There's a couple of other, uh, just to wind down on the, on the comedy here. Mm-hmm on the comedy fest that we're having. I think George Meredith wrote something on humour. But uh, something important. Doesn't Uh, mean that I would necessarily know it. Uh, Is there any treatises that you would cite as your Bible? Not really. I mean, I... Well, there's Freud. We've talked about it. Trouble is, a lot of this stuff is after the fact because I've always been interested in humour, but I didn't read about it theoretically. Till it was like way too late, and I just I had a friend for a while who was a big comedy buff and had loads and loads of comedy books. So I just I borrowed a lot of them. So then I was reading a lot. The only one I read early enough for it to be influential was probably Jan Cott, writing about Shakespeare, but looking at the difference between tragedy and comedy. How do you spell the last name? K O T T. Towards a poor theatre, I think was the one. 
the way he looks at it is, if a man dies in a, in a building that collapses, this is tragedy. If a man is sitting on a toilet in a building that collapses and dies, this is comedy. Uh-huh. Yeah, we haven't even talked about the scatological... Although, again, you got you, you can't just fling that out and expect to laugh. Because, again, like, bad comedy, bad stage comedy, if I see somebody dropping their trousers, I am going to find the director and kill them with a hammer. Because it's not automatically funny. There's got to be a lead-up that makes sense of the trousers, and then there's got to be an end. And it's just like, if I see one more British stage production of a guy wandering around with his trousers around his knees, it's, it's like, it's undignified for the actor. Mm. In the wrong way. If he's getting laughs, then it's great. You can, his arse can be out the window... But then there's Benny Hill sort of tittering away at tits. But he could be... He's weird, because I, I remember him doing a, a send-up of Richard III of the Now's the Winter of Our Discontent speech, if I remember. He's a very bright guy, and mm. he kind of gave them what they wanted, but there's a whole bunch of his stuff, which is really, really interesting. 70% of it you throw away. But, I mean, he knew he knew his stuff. He knew his racist, sexist, vile, <laughs> hideous stuff. But there's stuff in there that's... that's he, he knew how to do it. You know, it's like uh, seaside postcard humour. That's what you get, and that's what you've asked for, and that's what he does. And he's good at what he does. Unless you're f- four, shit is not necessarily funny. You have to do something with it. And yet, farting around the campfire in Blazing Saddles was a big hit. You did something hit. with it. And you did something with it, which is to do with, like, because, like, one fart around the campfire, not as funny as 473. And it's not well, it started off with one, and then I guess the rest chimed in, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's just so it's so it's stupid, good. and yet it's so funny. Oh, it's great because it, it just goes on and on and on and on, yeah. and that's 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 why it's funny. Some, eventually, the repetition becomes <laughs> funny. Plus, it's based on well, yeah, as far as we are told, all cowboys did was just, just to eat beans. So <laughs> surely, this is the first time in a, a western that you yeah, hear a part. Yeah, we've know. actually so it's reality How again. Come it took so long. Yeah, it's 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 the reality thing, which is yeah, you would have the digestive difficulties, which would be inevitable. Again, Mel Brooks, um, the early stuff, he, he knows how to do it. I mean, the producers, it's just beautiful. My agent, I didn't know this, but it would have made me go with him as, as, as an agent. He, he, he was an agent within a smaller agency when I, when I went with him, and then he moved and I stayed with him, but he wanted to call his new agency, it was all his, Bialystok and Bloom. <laughs> I was like, I love you, it would be crazy, but I love you. Just so he could pick up the phone and say, hello, Bialystok and Bloom. <laughs> Last question. Mm-hmm. I think I'm funny. Okay. I don't personally, but I'm just okay. telling you this. And I want to become a comedy writer and a stand-up comedian. Okay. What should I do? Oh, hang yourself. Great. <laughs> Thanks very much for your <laughs> no, time. It's even more competitive than any other area of writing. It's just cutthroat. It's so hard. It's harder than literary writing. It's beautiful, but it'll destroy you as a person. And if you're not insane probably don't do it but then you wouldn't want to if you weren't so that'll work out so much of the stuff we see on TV is just oh. bullshit and they've got that laugh track that is just yeah. inane when true comedy really does come up it, it is distinctive that's why I like seeing you know going to the clubs I mean you see terrible stuff but all of it's better than what's on TV you know just just the middly people or the starting out people or the crazy people or the guy who has an invisible goose in one arm that occasionally goes and he talks about molesting children I mean at least he's trying to do something it's terrible and it's very strange and it, it, it is him kind of tracing around some kind of psychosis but it's okay and in a comic club like, it's allowed you know, you can, that, that's, it's, it's the big haven of free speech you can't say anything
and offend anyone. Yeah, and you just have to deal with the audience trying to correct you. But you can say anything that you can uh, stand behind it, which is interesting. Yeah, as long as you're faithful human nature. Thanks a lot for your time. No trouble. I've been speaking with A.L. Kennedy, who is a writer. And a minister, ordained by mail. Self-ordained minister. Plays the banjo. And she won the sat. It's saltire, but I sure want to say satire. Yeah. Saltire Society Scottish Book of the Year Award for Day. So what's the saltire? Saltire Society is a very strange society. It's in Scotland. It partly encourages people to fly the Scottish flag, which is the saltire, the right way up. I don't think there is a wrong way up. Well, you know, not lengthwise. And it also encourages Scottish cultural expressions. Not very much, but it has two prizes. It has a, a best first book prize and the best book prize. Fantastic. Nowhere else to go but down. That's the thing. But, you know, we're starting to get European ones, which is always fun. Thanks again. Nice talking to you.